Please turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. We had the last two weeks of missions conference, and so we had guest speakers. So I had like three weeks to sit on this text of James chapter 5, 7 through 12, which is about patience. And I know that God has a lot to teach me about patience. And I guess he probably does for you as well. If you will look at your back sheet of your bulletin, it'll actually guide you to kind of the outline of my sermon as well as the page number. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take one of the Bibles in front of you in one of the chairs. And if you don't have a Bible, we invite you to even keep it and use it. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12 this morning. But I want to begin by reminding you of a story that I shared back in April when I began the series of James. It's a story about a famous preacher named Andrew Murray in the 1800s. He was old by this time, and he was in pain from different things, including an accident that he experienced. And he was in a visiting city. He was was in a city preaching, and he had preached all day, and he was tired, and he went back to the house that he was staying at. And he was in a lot of pain. And because of back pain, he was stayed up all night in agony and in exhaustion. And he knew that he had to speak the next day. And he got up that morning and he spent some time under candlelight writing some notes, really to encourage himself in truth. Well, around that time, early in the morning, a lady in the village knocked on the door knowing this pastor was there and she wanted counsel and wisdom from this pastor and she asked him she he knocked on the door and a maid came to the door and said he's busy but I'll send him the message and the maid went up and said there's a lady here that wants your counsel and he was in too much pain and he handed the note that he had written for himself down to her and this is what that note said in time of trouble say first He brought me here. It is by his will I am in this straight place. And in that fact, I will rest. Next, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his child. Then he will make the trial a blessing teaching me the lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. Last, in his, God's, good time, he can bring me out again, how and when he knows. So let me say I am here, one, by God's appointment, two, in his keeping, three, under his training, and four, for his time. In time of trouble, what will you do? What will you think? What will you say? What will you be telling yourself? What truths, all these things that he said and wrote down, really came from promises and truths of God's word that had been permeated and been truly saturating his mind and his heart. What are you doing and thinking and saying in time of trouble? You will, ha- you will live a life in this day and age and in any 
world that you, in, in any day in this life, you will deal with difficult people and difficult circumstances. Maybe those people are your father or mother, your sister, your brother, your spouse, a son or a coworker. It might be yourself. Or you'll deal with difficult circumstances, mental health problems, depression, OCD, cancer, poverty, a life that seems to always feel so dysfunctional. You, you and I will suffer in this life. And so, but let me define suffering for you. Uh, in order for it to, bro- to broaden that term, not to make us feel martyrs or feel self-pity, but to just call it what it is. I like the definition that Elizabeth Elliot gives in her little book that was actually written after she died and someone put it together, this little beautiful book called Suffering is Never for Nothing, in which she defines suffering this way. Suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. Let me say that again. Suffering is having what you don't want and wanting what you don't have. You don't want, but you have a toothache or uncomfortable weather or touchy relationships or headaches and colds and taxes and rejection by people you care for and traffic. And for some, cancer, chronic illness, financial stress, all of us sin. Or We want, but we don't have perfect happiness, health, perfect body, people to line their schedules perfectly with ours, perfect relationships, especially with our kids or spouse, perfect weather, financial freedom, freedom from sin. We all suffer. We experience trouble. James began this letter. You remember how he begins this letter? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, experiencing suffering. Why does he say count it a joy? Because there is a purpose behind it. He will make it a blessing. How can that be? Because God is in control of everything. The purpose and blessing that he is seeking to produce a steadfastness in us, he says, and then a maturity. And as James now wraps up the letter of which we are, we're in the last chapter of James, he returns to the theme. He has just warned the rich to watch out. There is a day of reckoning He's not talking about the godly rich who are generous and just and merciful and humble and good stewards of their wealth. He's talking about the rich who are defrauding the poor and hoarding their wealth and stuffing themselves full of luxury and their selfishness. No doubt many of the people in James's audience that he's writing to, they're facing pain. They're facing trials because they're being exploited There are injustices that they are facing, and it is not fair. And the Christians that James writes needs encouragement. 
These brothers and sisters need reminding of something. And so this is what he says in verses 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Brothers and sisters, this passage speaks to us today and calls us to patiently wait for the Lord in the midst of our difficult people and difficult circumstances, all our suffering. Are you patient? Would you consider yourself patient? Would your spouse consider you patient? Would your brother or sister or your friend consider you patient? Do you have steadfastness? We sure need those things to handle COVID-19, American politics, the world and other Christian responses to the issues of the day that can be all over and can be really frustrating and all the fighting that goes on. We need patience. As we think about our culture's spending and economy and masks and vaccinations and mandates and taxes and abortion and sexuality issues, we need patience to handle the things that don't seem to go right day after day. And we need patience to deal with the know-it-all, whether that be a teacher or a boss or a coworker or a student. We need patience for our children and we need patience for our parents. We need patience to love our spouse, our sibling, and our fellow brothers and sisters in this room. We need patience to forgive those who hurt us. We need patience to forbear, as Jesus told us. We need patience and steadfastness so that we don't despair and give up our faith or show to others by our despairing that our Christianity really is worthless. We need patience if we're going to honor Christ and show him off and be mature. He says, be patient. James tells us this, and then he says, we need to be steadfast. These two words are similar, and they overlap in many ways. Patience has often been defined as something like this. Patience is the self-restraint that doesn't hastily or sinfully respond. It is a quiet spirit when others loudly interrupt your life. Steadfastness 
is a temper or an attitude that does not easily succumb under suffering. It doesn't give in. It doesn't let go. It doesn't quit. It is enduring and it's perseverance. Well, let me put it this way. Patience is what happens when we experience suffering or pain. I mean, we really don't need to show patience until we have something like that. It's when we experience suffering and pain, and remember my definition, having what you don't want or wanting what we don't have, and patience is when we wait upon God in those situations. We listen to his word. We rely on his promises. We submit to his priorities for our life and even trust him, though the relief that we want is taking a long time. Patience is holding on with the grip of trust in God who governs from the greatest things in our lives to the least, those small details of our lives. And he's governing them for our good and for his glory. Patience waits and listens to what God wants to show us and teach us and grow us. Patience is tested when I'm quick to escape any kind of discomfort or displeasure in my own way. Patience requires humility. It requires trust in God. It requires submission to God. Impatience happens when we attempt to escape or soothe our suffering through sinful motives, through sinful actions, through self-reliance instead of waiting and listening to God for his guidance. I pray that as a result of his word this morning and in this pondering this call to patience, we will take the, even the littlest things that test our patience and say, God, am I waiting on you? Am I listening to you? Am I, am I trusting that you're in charge here? Am I relying on you? Or, or am I just seeking my own comfort, seeking to soothe my own way and satisfy and really just vent impatience and just escape through lashing out at someone, getting vengeance, grumbling and complaining. Patience and steadfastness, it means to wait for God for his rescue and deliverance. It means that when trials attack you, you don't turn away from God, but you turn into him and you look to him. It means that you have the long view of things, not expecting instant gratification, but know that God is working on his timetable. He's in charge and he has bigger purposes than you were focusing on when he came and interrupted your plans with difficult people or difficult circumstance. Because he desires and he plans to grow you. It means that you learn to stick with hard marriages, church situations, work experiences, and not quickly pull out before learning what God has for you to learn. 
There are times when we have when we make changes and we seek to escape and remove, but are we doing it for the right motives and are we doing it in trust and in reliance upon God? Now, in this passage, James says to us, be patient twice. Verse seven, be patient. Verse eight, second half of it, be patient, establish your heart. This idea of establishing our heart means to to stand firm in your faith is this idea of do not give in, but in your faith, in the very depths of your heart, trust in the Lord. And and in this passage, in these verses, I see him giving us reasons to motivate us to be patient, to challenge us to be patient, to remind us to be patient. In giving us reasons, he helps us to, he gives us instructions related to how to be patient. So this morning, I want to, I want to establish your heart through his word towards patience. And I want to point out five ways that I think James gives us in order to help us grow in patience. And so here they are. Wait like a farmer. Endure like the prophets. Grow like Job. Guard your tongue. And remember he's coming. Let's look at them in turn. How to be patient and establish your heart, number one, be patient and wait like a farmer. Do you have a farm? Some of you might. Some of you do. Some of you have a garden. Some of you grew up in a farm or grew up with gardens. James takes us to this subject and he says, look around here, remember the farmer in a very agricultural society He says, be patient, verses seven and eight. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, also like the farmer, you also like this farmer who waits patiently for these rains and for the precious fruit. Be patient, establish your hearts. He says, see how the farmer waits? He tells us to ponder the farmer in order to grow in our patience and steadfastness. How foolish would it be, we know it's foolish, if a gardener or a farmer plants his seeds and two days later he's complaining that the corn isn't already up. (laughs) Farmer plants and waits A farmer works, he cultivates, he plants, he works while he's waiting, but he has to wait. And the point that James gives here is that he waits upon the person that brings the late and the early rains, of which the farmer can never produce. God is always on time, friends. But For our natural impatience, it seems like he takes too much time, but he doesn't. There is a familiar phrase throughout the Psalms, how long, O Lord, how long? It's the cry of the suffering Christian. Are you there this morning? How long, God, are we going to go through this? Savagery on my, my family's bodies who are so sick. I know some of you are in pain right now, crying out to God for this. Why, God? How long? 
or through financial crisis or just relational troubles or just discouragement or things that are just even hard for you to describe to anybody else, but you are hurting. How long, oh God? Maybe you're this morning saying, Oh God, when are you going to save my son? I've been praying for him for years and years. When will you bring me relief in this pain? When will you heal our marriage? When will you finally free me from the sin that I've been fighting and fighting and I feel like I can never have victory? James says, be patient and steadfast. A farmer waits and waits on the Lord and he works. But a farmer works and works and waits, and he depends on God. No farmer has ever produced the early or late rains. He can't do that. He can, in our society, he can irrigate and he can, he can water the earth in that way, but not in the time in which this illustration was given. These farmers are absolutely dependent on God for the early and late rains, or it's not coming. In the Middle East, they would plant their crops in the fall, relying on the autumn rains to prepare the ground for that. And then in the spring, they would they'd wait for those later rains and need that necessary before the harvest came. And God did, did this. Now, what is James telling us? He's saying, what, he's writing to a church that's probably being exploited by the rich, being exploited in different ways, and they're facing injustices that some of us could not even fathom, but in some parts of the world they can. And he's looking at them and he says, be patient, just wait, wait. We're gonna see, wait for the Lord. But he's saying, remember the farmer, the the good things that God brings, the precious fruits. It's, It's a law of the harvest that we wait on the Lord And he says, so wait, this idea of early and late rains is is something that was traced. They they would have remembered this. This is Old Testament references, whether it be in Joel or Deuteronomy or many other passages where God says he will bring the late and early rains as a blessing, as a reminder of God's providence in our lives. Be patient by remembering the farmer and the Lord of the harvest in your life. He gives us prayer And he tells us to pray like planting seeds and we pray and we pray and we do not give up praying. But sometimes he's going to test to say, are you going to wait upon me? That is a theme throughout the Bible. Are you familiar with that? Wait on the Lord. Those who wait upon the Lord, he renews their strength. Wait, my soul waits like the watchman for the morning, we sang. Like the watchman for the morning. We wait like we're waiting for that sun to come in the morning. Is it gonna come? He promises to cause the sun to rise, and so he caught promises to take care of his own here. Psalm 37 is a great call to patience in the midst of suffering and injustices. Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in the way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Excuse me. Be patient. Wait like a farmer. But secondly, I see that he says, be patient and endure like the prophets. Look at verses 10 and 11. As an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets 
who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Again, he's saying, be patient. And I want you to be patient by remembering and endure like these prophets. They remained steadfast. They did not give up. They kept waiting upon the Lord. They looked to the Lord. Remember them. Remember in the midst of your pain this week that it is God's way to take his people The prophets marked the people of God. They were faithful. They were sharing the word of God. They were declaring what God had said. They were God's messengers, and they suffered persecution. We read in Hebrews 11 that these great prophets and people of God, in faith they lived their lives. In verse 32, he says, Time would fail to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all of the prophets who through faith they conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, obtained promises, they stopped the mouth of lions, they quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty to war, put armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured. They refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with sword. They went about in skins and sheep's goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. And through faith and patience, they inherited the promises even if they received them after they were killed and torn. Isaiah the prophet was known to have been sawn in two. Jeremiah was brought into a pit and left there for a long time. Daniel thrown into a lion's den, brought into captivity. Samuel lost so much as a prophet of God and experienced much pain. Realized God's people, and he's saying, Remember and endure like the prophets. They clung to God's promises as they delivered God's promises and message and warnings. They clung to God's promises and remembered that God is faithful even though they were tortured or suffered persecution. They were declaring God's very word and he's saying, you are gonna go through the little afflictions and frustrations of home life. Learn to be patient here. And learn to be patient when the doctor gives you a report that is devastating from a human perspective. Learn and endure like the prophets. It says, as an example of suffering and patience, they endured. They they looked to God and his promises. They did not think that God was off his throne at that moment when they were suffering But instead, they stood in a fiery furnace like Nebuchadnezzar's and said, we will not bow down and worship your God and your image, Nebuchadnezzar. Whether God delivers us or not, we will not bow because we believe in our God who is faithful.
They're the ones who are rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. What if in the next, tri- next days that you have and experience the slight pa- irritations that lead to the need for patience or the big ones, we remember, oh God, help me to cling to the promises like these men of old, these women of old were faithful in trusting you. We are to be patient as we wait like farmers and endure like the prophets. But thirdly, I want you to see, he says, he says, be patient and grow like Job. Look at 11, verse 11b. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord was compassion, is compassion, compassionate and merciful. Job was patient. He complained to God. He defended himself before his friends. Oh, he struggled with some patience. He showed a steadfastness, and he did not give up. Job was a very rich and wealthy man, but in his God decided to test him, and we find that the story here in Job chapter 1, but in, in Job we find that God took away his family, all his children, all his wealth, all his animals, even his wife. He left him with a wife, but a wife that was afflicting him and ta- telling him to curse God and die. And then God took away his health. And we find, though, the testimony of Job, Job 120, 21, naked I came from my mother's womb, he said, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He has done this, and I bless him because I tr- he's in charge. And we find throughout the book of Job that he did not curse God or die like his wife insisted on him doing. We find that he learned some things instead about God. And I say we need to grow like Job because here it says, remember the steadfast, he says, remember Job, remember his steadfastness. We've seen the purpose of the Lord and how he's compassionate and merciful. What was the purpose of the Lord in Job's life? Well, God was putting on display this Job in order for us centuries and thousands of years later to see and hear the way of God. And we find that Job gives us a little hint in what God was teaching him in the midst of all his afflictions that didn't seem fair or right. God shows him himself and he says, were you there? Do you, have you been where all the snow is stored and all the rain is taken care of? Were you there to make sure the sun was up in the morning? Are you in charge of all these galaxies and all these ways? Are you really there, Job? Do you, are you in charge? And he covered his mouth and he says at the end of Job in Job 42, 5, I had heard of you, God, by my, the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. I think he's saying, my eyes spiritually now comprehend in a new way. I have grown to see and know you in a way. I have talked to some of you who have suffered with great affliction. And I praise God that I have heard from some of you testify to me that in the midst of your cancer, your hospital visits, your great pain and affliction, you have, don't want to go back there, but you would say you would not 
exchange that for anything because in those moments, God spoke to you and grew you and caused you to fall on your knees and depend on him and trust him and see him faithful in a way that you didn't see when things were just cozy, comfortable, and healthy. When all relationships were perfect, you didn't need to depend on him, so you thought. Job says, now my eyes have seen him. It reminds me of what, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 when he says, I need you to know about the affliction that we so we were, we were afflicted in such a great way that we were burdened beyond our strength. Have you felt that way? We desired and we despaired, I should say, even of life itself. But he gives us the reason. But this was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Friends, God is going to bring you through trials in life in order to grow you, that's what James says in chapter one. He's gonna grow you into maturity. He loves you too much to leave you where you are. And the reality is when everything is healthy, when everything is prosperous, when all relationships are good, when everything is going good and there is no suffering in our lives, we do not grow like we grow when we suffer. I mean, just imagine if, Using the, the definition of suffering that I used, suffering is, is when we have things we don't want or we don't have things that we want. Imagine if the opposite was the case. Imagine if you had everything you wanted in life. More than this, imagine if everyone in the world had everything they wanted in life and no one had anything they didn't want. We would be insufferable. We'd be terrible. We would be, and yet God in his mercy knows that's not good, and he is about to grow us in our affliction. Oh, that is hard, and it requires faith. The point here is many people that call themselves Christian and are Christians go through seasons of which they do not pass the test in these ways. They do not grow immediately in suffering. Instead, they pine after, against God, they attack him, they lament, but in a way that is ungodly, and they are angry and hardened in their heart. Oh, this passage is saying, don't be like that. Be patient. Grow like Job. Remember that God was merciful and compassionate. We find at the end of Job that God not only blessed him and returned his health, but he gave him more family, and he gave him more wealth, and it says that his wealth, he blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning God is a compassionate, merciful God. In this life, in this age, we may not feel the compassion that we are asking for. In this life, he may take it. Ask the martyrs that have given their life for Christ. Ask those who suffer painful deaths of suffering and disease, and they're clinging and they're trusting God. God has a purpose. God will bless he says here also, but also guard your tongue. Be patient and guard your tongue. Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. What is he bringing this out for? Does this seem to fit in the midst of a call to be patient 
I think we could see if we just stop for a minute, we can understand that some of the great obstacles, when we have one of the great obstacles to being patient and steadfast is our tongue. Of course, our tongue actually is just revealing what's in our heart already. He said in chapter two and three, he tells us to watch out for the tongue, watch out and guard it. Can you imagine grumbling when things get rough? I bet you can. Have you ever heard of any COVID complaining? Have you heard the grumbling and complaining that comes when things are just not going well? We grumble about our schoolwork. We grumble about our work. We grumble about the weather. We grumble about the traffic. We grumble about our health and our pain and our finances. And we grumble against the government and against law enforcement and against, well, each other. He says, do not grumble against one another. I think he's saying, now watch out. When you're going to go through affliction, the temperature is going to rise you're going to be hurting, and you're going to, it's going to be temptation to just go at each other. And watch out. That is a great obstacle to your enduring patience. Cover your mouth. Show grace to one another. Do not grumble. There is a judge, and you will be judged for that. Always beware of that. It's, it reminds me of Psalm 34 when he's calling them to seek refuge in God, and he says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Peter, when he's telling them in the midst of their affliction, their persecution, Peter in chapter 2 tells them to watch out, remember Jesus. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. But when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to a God who judges justly. Friends, I do believe that in, we need to hear this command, this call to patience, and specifically the call to guard our tongues. And of course, to guard our tongues, we guard our hearts to say, God, help me to truly endure rightly. Help me to grow like Job grew. God, help me to wait like a farmer. Because I do think that one of the great difficulties or trials that this church specifically as a congregation that has been growing over the last few years, one of the ways in which the devil would come and afflict us and attack us is our biting each other and complaining and grumbling and accusing and not giving each other the benefit of the doubt in the midst of our pain. Why didn't he care for me? Didn't he know that I was suffering? Why didn't she reach out to me? I don't think she is very thoughtful. I don't think he is very generous we can do that towards one another in our hearts. Oh, this passage says, guard your hearts by guarding your tongue from evil. Beware. Be patient by watching your words. And of course, what comes out of your words, we can often is in pain, is grumbling. The last thing he tells us to, and, and you see, but it's not the last thing, it's the beginning. And I ended, I want to end with this, where he actually begins with and rises as prominent in this passage, be patient and remember he is coming, friends. We need to, we need to ponder this deeply and truly. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. He tells you, be patient for how long? Until he comes. 
Has he come yet? No, so you need to still be patient. You need to wait on the Lord until he either takes you home or he comes and returns. You also be patient, verse 8. Establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And behold, the judge is standing at the door. Watch it. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and seen the purpose of the Lord. He's got a purpose. Now wait, he's coming. The coming of the Lord is near. It's been 2,000 years almost since James wrote these words. In the perspective of all eternity, it's near. The time is short. It's but a moment and we are going to be whisked away. Either he will return and take us or he will take us through death. He may return today before this day is done. Or he may wait to do his wonders for a thousand more years. But he is coming. Our church covenant says that this is one of the things that we need to do. And I would say it's need to do it because each one of us is called to a patience and steadfastness. And he's, if you remember our church covenant towards the end, it says, We further purpose in our heart to encourage one another in the blessed hope of our Lord's return. And that's what he's saying. Remember, our Lord will appear and he will return. And he will return as the judge and he will return as a savior. And so for all who are looking to him and have trusted in him, he's going to come and it's going to bring justice and relief and joy into those who turned away from him. It is going to be fierce judgment, but it will be accountability to us. Our great ba- one of the great Baptist confessions says, of the world to come, we believe that the end of the world is approaching, that the day, last day of Christ will descend from heaven and raise the dead from the grave to final retribution, that the solemn separation will take place, that the wicked will be sent to endless punishment, and that righteous to endless joy, and that this judgment will fix forever the final state of men in heaven or in hell. And oh, friends, this is so weighty. There is nothing more important for you to hear this today. Are you ready for the coming of the Lord? Do you want the coming of the Lord? Not just because you just want relief in order to restore your own comfort or your own care, but you're looking to the Lord because he is your Lord. And though you sin, you do now love him. You do now trust him. James is James is saying, be patient until the coming of the Lord. It is at hand. It is near. He says, wait for it. You know, that is an invitation and a reminder that many of us, many are not ready for his return. They're not ready because they are not saved. They have not turned from their own sin and their own self worship and ruling to him and surrendered it all to him. They have not turned away from their sins and accepted his forgiveness of salvation. Oh, it is as simple as you turning to him this morning in your seat and asking him to forgive you of your sins because you believe that Jesus died for you and you receive him and you receive him as your Lord. Will you say, I don't know how, but I know you'll help me, but I'm ready to follow you because there is nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else that has eternal life, and I now see that you are the real 
Savior of the world. Oh, I pray that we would be ready for this coming. Oh, I pray that we would be a people that would remind each other, endure this cancer to the glory of God because he's returning. Endure, endure your financial trials because he's coming. Fight to have, fight sin because he is returning and because Jesus is better than your sin. Care about your marriage and make it matter. Even the hard marriages, the hard relationships with your parents, the hard situations at work, don't give up. Don't run from the hardships in impatience, in sinful or wrong ways, but listen to what God has. Enjoy and see what his purposes are for your life. He wants to make you mature. He wants to make you trust him forever. He wants you to know him and love him, to know that he's real and he's there and he cares about you. He's, he's planning eternity of when he returns where it will be pleasures forevermore. Now is the time to be patient. He is coming. He tells the Thessalonians in their persecution, you are being persecuted. But remember, there's going to come a day, and I've summarized in chapter one, there's a day in which those who are persecuted will be greatly afflicted by the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet for you, when he comes, he will be glorified in the saints and he will be marveled at among all who have believed because of the gospel that has been received. Friends, someday Christ will appear and he will judge. Someday he will, re he will receive all glory and honor by all. Someday we will receive our judgment and our reward. What matters is if are we clinging to Christ Clinging to Christ, even though we know we are not worthy, he is gracious. Someday he will give those who trust in him the crown of life, chapter 1 said, and to all who love him. Someday he'll wipe away all tears. Someday he'll remove all mental illnesses, all cancer, all human disease, all relational strife, all envy, all jealousy, all bitterness, all deceit, all malice will be removed. He will remove all jealousy and selfishness and pride. Someday he will present to us a reward. Friends, someday if you are a Christian, having your sins forgiven by the blood of the Lamb, someday you will receive a reward that you do not deserve, but was purchased by the deserving worth and work of Jesus applied to us. And we will bow before the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the earth and we will sing, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Maybe you haven't enjoyed worship services and singing, but you will enjoy this. And if you enjoy that, you will start to enjoy worship services in this day and in this age. Someday we will inherit glory and joy. And it will make all our sufferings and all our testing of being patient worth it. Someday we will sing with hearts and we will want to sing. And we'll have voices worth hearing. Be patient. Wait like the farmer. 
Endure like the prophets who trusted in the promises of God. Grow like Job while God was making them to truly know him. Guard your mouths. Remember he's coming. Be patient, therefore, brothers, sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Let's pray. And God... What should I ask of you, God, right now? I, I pray that you take these many words and you would help us to, to receive your word and believe. Believe your coming and wait upon you. Help us to believe your good and so grow in our suffering. Help us to so trust your promises and so endure like these prophets. Oh God, help us to be so watchful of these things that we care to guard our mouths and not trust ourselves because we can just so easily sin in the midst of our pain. Oh God, Make us a people who are patient and steadfast in this day. In Jesus' name, amen.